Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right, John, it's your turn. Tell us about your story. I picked a story called uh, The Worshipful Society of Glovers by Mary Robinette Kowal. In a publication called Uncanny, a magazine of science fiction and fantasy. Yes. I realized we've done a few science fiction stories, but I was like, I want to do a good a good, uh, good fantasy story. That's not Tolkien. <laughs> it's not Tolkien. Oh, yeah, we did do that Niggle story. Yeah. But I also, my wife and I have read a bunch of Mary Robinette Kowal's novels, and I was like, I like her as a writer. Let's see if what kind of, I know she's been nominated for like hugos and nebulas and stuff so i figured i'd look into her short fiction what section are you gonna read for us i was gonna read the section where uh, he gets robbed to make up for being tardy vaughn worked well past his usual time it was full dark by the time he left the shop locking the door behind himself his eyes blurred when he tried to look in the distance so the candles in the windows turned into dancing globes like will-o'-the-wisps come to the city he had the pieces for another set of gloves folded in paper in his pocket and had snuck the little shears out of the shop sarah would be worried about him but she knew well enough that the master had say over his time tucking his hands in the sleeves of his overgown vaughn hurried for home if he was lucky, the pie shop would still have something, otherwise it was yesterday's bread for dinner. Before he even got out of the alley, a hand clamped down on his shoulder with the weight of iron. Vaughn gasped and tried to wrench free, but the man's fingers dug in, unnaturally strong. His vision went white and red. He dropped to his knees, grabbing by instinct at the source of the pain, and touched leather. A glove of smooth oxkin, embroidered at the knuckles, with fool's knots and chains, strength gloves. I've got nothing, Vaughn stopped struggling, but the scoundrel's grip on his shoulder didn't lighten. Lord, they'd break his shoulder at this rate. At least it was his left. He could still stitch if they didn't hurt his right. What a stupid thing to worry about when he might not live through the night. Vaughn knelt on the cold cobblestones with one knee in a puddle of something. Don't try anything. I won't. Who had made the man's gloves? Vaughn kept his head down as the fellow released him. Partly this is so he didn't look like a threat, but also so he could see the gloves. Bright red oxskin with the requisite fool's knots and chains stitched at the knuckles. The man yanked his pocket off his belt, likely harder than the man had intended, and the cloth split down the seams. Green thread marched up the sides of the gloves in flames that looked like it had come out of Master O'Connell's shop. Not that it mattered. Like as not, they were stolen. Sumptuary laws being what they were, someone of their station couldn't afford a pair of gloves, much less flaunt them. Heavens no. If they were something so fine, someone might mistake them for nobility. Ha! The thief dug through the shredded pocket and found Vaughn's meager purse. Thank heavens he hadn't been paid yet this week, but there went any chance of buying Sarah a pie for dinner. When the thief drew out the leather for the gloves, Vaughn groaned. Please, those aren't ensorcelled yet. It's just leather and... The thief threw the kid's skin on the ground, right in the puddle Vaughn knelt in. Bollocks. Even if the liquid were by some miraculous chance pure water, the leather would warp and stiffen. Master Martin would take it out of his wages. The man found the little silver shears and tucked them away. Small though they were, a pair of silver shears were worth more than Vaughn would make this month. Thank God he'd already hocked his father's snuff box or that would be gone as well. That's it? The thief grabbed him by the collar. I'm a journeyman. You don't dress like one. My master wants us to look smart for his customers. He'd near beggared himself meeting the requirements of the journeyman contract, but it was the only way to advance in the guild. If he were wearing a cot, as he had most of his life, 
the thief wouldn't have looked at him twice. If you thought I was a nobleman, I am sorry to have wasted your time. Guess I'll take your overgown and hat for my troubles. He snatched the hat off Vaughn's head. Please, I'll lose my place if I'm not your place or your life. Either way, they're mine, ain't they? The thief clapped his hands together and the threads glimmered with the spellwork caught in them. Off with your overgown. What choice did Vaughn have? He shrugged off the overgown, and though it was tempting to throw it in the puddle, same as the leather, he wasn't a fool. He handed it over, jaw clenched, to keep from crying as the thief threw the overgown across his arm. It wasn't fair. He'd worked so hard to get here, to make something of himself, and... The thief's free hand drew back, curling into a fist. If that connected, Vaughn was a dead man. He threw himself back. The blow whistled past his face, just brushing his cheek. Even that fleeting contact lit the night sky for a moment. Then his head smacked against the cobbled street and everything went dark. Well, I feel like an idiot, but when I read this, it took me forever to figure out if it was sci-fi or fantasy. And it wasn't until like, um, so like in hindsight, the scene that you read is like the first indication that the gloves that they're making are the things that have the actual power you know yeah i felt similarly that was like the scene where i really was like oh okay now i know what's happening yeah 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 well i read the whole like scene that you just read and i still was kind of like oh maybe like (laughs) this is stupid but like i kept thinking if maybe this guy's wearing strength gloves because he's so strong not like that the gloves themselves are like making him strong you know i thought like they're just Um... like a badass like a bunch of badass like bodybuilders like running the streets like and they wear those gloves because they plan on like manhandling people or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's like literally what i was thinking and then like i think like i said when it did kind of come together for me it was when he was finally calling up that little fairy thing. What are their names? Oh, the brownies? Yeah, the brownies. I was like, what are these brownies? So he, he calls up a brownie to help, you know, make this bizarre deal Yeah, where he's going to make the brownie some gloves and then the brownie's going to make gloves for his sister. And that was when I really felt like an idiot because then I understood why his sister needed gloves in the first place and that they were going to help her with these seizures, you know? Yeah. I, I didn't understand that those were the key to her healing. I didn't understand until really the end that these gloves had a variety of powers that way, right? And I was trying to think of... A other types of fantasy novels and i'm sure there's tons i'm just not well read in this genre where something like a physical object like gloves can not only make you stronger but also heal something you know these gloves can it seems like you could come up with a type of glove for almost anything that you wanted to solve or improve and that was kind of interesting and she includes a lot of examples in yeah. the narration like as they're walking down he sees because he's a he's learning the craft he notices everyone's gloves and he's like oh that person has chastity gloves yeah and that person has gloves for uh, some other thing. Oh, uh, the one woman had gloves that would make her um, be able to have kids yes. later in life. Yeah, that was funny. I think they were both like next to each other. It's like, oh, those are horror gloves and those are please knock me up gloves. <laughs> yeah. So I th- and it might have been that scene, too. I'm like forgetting like the order all these scenes are in, but it was a slow build for, for me <laughs> to figure yeah. out like what genre we were in. Well, there, there was an, a scene where he met a the brownie that worked with his master was earlier in the story than the one he summoned. Yeah. But that's actually one of the things that I the thing that I really want to comment on for this story was how she does that the learning curve of this story seems it feels really steep. Right. But what she's doing like she's setting the c 
scene. She's setting the the milieu, the, you know, the whole world that they're in and the the rules of that world through the beginning of the story. And it, it's still, you know, you're still learning things as you're going to like very much of it. And that's an interesting feature. Like when we read Hemingway, we don't have to learn about the world, you know, he will put us in Paris, he'll put us in Africa, but he, we know basically what's going on. Whereas a story like this, you really, so I, I'd wonder sometimes like some people don't like reading fantasy stories. Yeah. Cause it, it, I think it requires a different, it can require a different mindset going into it. Like, okay, I have to assume nothing and learn everything. Yeah. Right. The story is going to teach me how to read it. <laughs> it's going to teach yeah. me what the world it looks like. You know, she sets it in London. So it's kind of like yeah. historical fantasy. Right. Like London during a certain era, during King Henry's well, like, uh... Felt like steampunk. Yeah, like a little bit like obviously a couple centuries before what's traditionally steampunk, but that kind of like historical moment with some added steampunk as technology, added magic in this case that changes the world in subtle ways. So you not only have to orient yourself in a historical period, you have to orient yourself in a magically altered period, which just requires like a blank slate. You know, you have to let go of your preconceptions. And so when you read different things, like these gloves hadn't yet been ensorcelled. You're like, yeah, what does that mean? You can, you know, if you're reading literary fiction, you would know. You can just guess like, oh, is that a metaphor or something? Yeah. But in this case, that has a real specific in-world meaning. Like these gloves are ordinary they don't have magic in them yet (laughs) you have to learn that as you're going yeah it was cool to like you said steampunk is from a different era entirely but it like mixes the fact that we're going to go back in time but also add this like technology that doesn't exist now whether it's technology or magic you know what i mean it's not like a harry potter where it's like okay modern day london yeah and we're gonna add magic it's like we're gonna go back in time and make them more sophisticated somehow it's it's cool yeah i really like that i think that's why people really enjoy fantasy is just seeing different settings and different like possibilities i think um like i said maybe like a uh, more astute reader would have picked up on what was fantasy faster but i'm reading this and i'm like oh a journeyman must be (laughs) someone that used to make gloves in london like i'm like reading all these things i'm like i don't know what's like historically accurate and i don't know what's like invented yet you know oh, that that's true because th- this is bu- it's the guild system of the time yeah. you know where you didn't get a regular job you would go and yeah be a journeyman and learn yeah, yeah. i thought i was learning a lot about glove making for a long time <laughs> you yeah. did you, i think that's one of the <laughs> great things about stuff like this is like yeah. and she puts in a lot of details about what yeah. it means to make gloves and stuff and then adds the uh, little extra about you know making magic as part of them too yeah because there's parts of this that are obviously accurate like they talk about like dropping the leather in the water and how it's like ruined now because it's going to shrink so she yeah. didn't write this knowing nothing about actual gloves and then you know the stitching and all the embellishments and things and yeah it felt authentic that way it wasn't like they were making a type of clothing we've never heard of or seen it was interesting too because they like at the end introduced the concept the brownie is kind of like threatening the guy he's like we're making a deal now for these gloves for your sister but i guarantee you'll need my help again when they wear out you know which is like another interesting little wrinkle because for the whole story he's been talking about how he needs to learn how to make these gloves and then when he finally gives up on being able to make them himself in time for them to help her and he cuts this like shady little deal you know kind of at the expense of his career potentially you think like that's all he needs to do and then he's done and then the brownie's like yeah uh just so you remember gloves don't last and then i was like oh my god this this guy is like this is like a temporary deal with the devil you know like he's gonna have to i don't know that was really stressful yeah i love how you know all, all of 
you can strip away all the fantasy, all the um, the setting, the in- interesting things. And at heart, it's still the story of a person making a choice and then yeah. following out the consequences of that choice. And like, so he makes a particular choice that just ruins his life. Right. He gets what he wants, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> you could set that in any kind of situation. And this is, happens to be set into a fantasy world. I think uh, like a lot of people denigrate fantasy as being like... Uh, it's not like real literature, but this is the kind of thing like you can really get at a human condition yeah. irrespective of the setting. I mean, it's weird that people feel that way because if I can cry reading any kind of genre yeah. and it's literary, then it's, it's fiction, it's writing, it's, good yeah and one thing that i really like about fantasy is you can turn the dials in different ways that you can't do in literary fiction seeing that this was a publication that publishes both sci-fi and fantasy i was thinking a lot about like the distinction between those because okay we talk a lot about sci-fi and there's a broad range of sci-fi there's sci-fi that is so accurate that it inspires actual spacesuits. you know what i mean and then there's sci-fi that goes so far into the future but like along some kind of line where it's believable or maybe we don't have the technology yet but you could see it going that way whatever it is and then fantasy it's like oh you don't have to there's like there's no rules but uh it's not crazy to think that you could make gloves with technology that does something right they're not talking about like computers and chips in these gloves they're talking about magic but like at some level the sci-fi that they're talking about is magical right because it doesn't exist we don't know how to do it so it's weird where that kind of like distinction is like you could say like dragons don't exist so they're fantasy uh but we're about to like clone a fucking woolly mammoth so is it sci-fi i don't know well i mean in fiction the dragon it serves a function to the story right you can make the dragon a character you can make the dragon a threat you can make the dragon whatever it happens to be you could ride a dragon but you can also ride uh some sort of science fiction-y thing that serves the same function as a dragon you know like yeah i would put science fiction fantasy and i think this is just in general a lot of other genres as well under this they call it speculative fiction yeah it's just right you're going beyond what is what you see out the window what the real world seems to have in it and you're positing other things and you pull in fantasies from other cultures or um just mythologies from other cultures you can call that fantasy or you can call it like or you can call it religion Religion. There you go. Religion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, speculative fiction is obviously, yeah, that's that's an umbrella that I'm comfortable with. But like, yeah. then you think about like, I don't know, like Jurassic Park is sci-fi. Yeah. Well, it's science fiction, except you have to, uh, then you say, but at what point does the fact that DNA can't survive for millions of years make that a fantasy because that's you're relying mean. on some kind of magical thing that happened? <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I know that there are other like types of uh, stories that like live in this space between the two. Now I'm like really curious to see what those are. Well, this kind of historical fantasy is really, I haven't, don't read a lot of it, but I think it's really popular. I think there's a lot of people doing historical fantasy. And I mentioned, you know, taking fantasies from other cultures. I think there's a lot of people do that too. Like there would be a writer who has an Indian background. And so they bring stuff from India into a fantasy setting, or there's a different cultures have different stories in their backgrounds. They bring creatures from those stories into modern or urban fantasies and um and it, it's so f- interesting there's lots of stuff you can explore but it's all you just put it in an umbrella term you're just making reality you're augmenting reality in some way either through science yeah. 
through fantasy, through made up stuff or potential stuff that hasn't been invented yet. Yeah. I credit like this podcast having done it, you know, for as long as we have with like really introducing me to sci-fi and making me realize that I do like it, you know, because it's sci-fi is <laughs> yeah. one sci-fi is one of those things where, especially if you're not a reader, you probably reduce it to sci-fi is Star Wars fantasy is Lord of the Rings. Like if I were to ask my dad, name a fantasy story. These are like the most popular ones. And so you end up like thinking in these like kind of rigid boxes, you know, like sci-fi must be outer space. And then when you start really reading like sci-fi stories, you realize it's like any kind of technology. It can be like this chat GPT stuff and like AI and robots and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't have to be on Saturn or a planet Tatooine you've never heard of. And then like a story like this with the fantasy, like it's embarrassing, but this is like the first time that I've read something where it's not on its face fantasy because there's not something like a dragon or a hobbit or a creature you've never heard of like slapping you in the face on the first page you know yeah. it takes a while for you to realize that like obviously the fantasy is strong in this right brownies and all this kind oh, of stuff yeah. it's obviously magic fantasy. gloves <laughs> yeah but it's not it's not as fantastical. It's not as outrageous as like you said, there's world building here, but this is set in London. So there is that like historical this was enlightening for me, which is embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> because I know there's there's hardcore fans of this genre that are like, Yeah, y- y- we know. We're like we've been doing cool shit like this for a long time. But it's just cool to still be able to be introduced to like a new little type of writing that I can get into. Yeah, the genre blending stuff is really, um, that's huge. It has been huge for the past couple, like decade or two decades. You know, the fantasy market has grown and shifted in the past um, since Tolkien kind of made it saleable. And so it's kind of exploded and then people are just trying things out. And it's really wonderful. But, you know, what you were saying before about when you start reading this and it's like set in London. Yeah. And like, that's my takeaway for the story is is about the learning curve and establishing because she sets up the scene, the setting, the character, all the um, threads get established in the beginning. Like any any story is going to start with character and setting and stuff like that. But here she's also setting up the world at the same time. So all of those threads have to come in at the same time. You don't you can't come in with as many assumptions as you would or a quote-unquote literary fiction right you know when i we talked about earlier how uh it took a while to figure out what was going on when we first read it and then i when i reread it i was like everything's right here how did i miss it all you know yeah i think that's one of those things that comes in like when you're reading fantasy as an experienced reader of fantasy you would know how to read those clues more yeah easily than like i've read read so much literary fiction recently that i don't necessarily you're not primed for that yeah i'm not primed for it anymore or I, as you, I used to when I read more fantasy. I feel that way uh, about mystery. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, when you read a mystery, you know what you're supposed to start looking for. Like, yeah, start looking for clues right away, right? Part of my takeaway is, like, what she's doing in this is she's starting it with a scene. Like we always say, it's yeah. what you want to do is you want to start with scene because it's the best way to introduce the reader to something. And then uh, when he's going out into the streets of London on his way to work, um, that's when he starts seeing gloves everywhere. And so we start to learn about the gloves in those situations. And, like, as a uh, not an experienced fan, fantasy reader the first time i read this i hate i hate saying that but i can't call myself an experienced fantasy reader anymore i think i yeah i don't read enough of it but an unexperienced fantasy reader is not necessarily going to know to pay attention to that stuff as closely right right you know some a pair of gentlemen wearing green antler gloves for cunning like that's 
oh, what does that mean? I, I'm going to have to learn about that. You know, you're just learning stuff throughout all of it as you're watching the characters deal with the situation that's been introduced. Right. So you could call it a steep learning curve. And I think that's just going to be at the nature of the kind of fiction that's being done because you have to, the author is required to rewrite the rules of the entire world. Yeah. Except for certain things that they manage to keep. Like, does gravity still work the way it does? Like, is down yeah, still down? <laughs> we, well, you can't take that for granted. <laughs> but but we're in London, a, so okay. She does it pretty, yeah, yeah, right. We have something to hold on to here. She does it pretty deftly, but uh, I think about like, um, if this were YA, maybe there would be this paragraph very early on that says, Bond made magic gloves. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? It'd spell it out for the you. summarizing kind of situation. Right. Which I don't hate, but what I really enjoyed about this was just kind of being along for the ride and being invested in him before I fully understood necessarily what the rules were. Yeah, it's a difference between an essay and a story, right? Fiction. Yeah. You want to get into the world, not be told about the world. Exactly. And that's, I think, uh, I remember reading Practical Magic in a book club and I wanted to kill myself because <laughs> it was it was all about explaining the world. The, the entire book yeah. was explaining the world. And it would literally have a pair halfway through the book that was like so-and-so a witch saw a swarm of bees bees in this world mean an omen and i was like just show it you know it it, it was it was miserable it was like reading footnotes <laughs> the entire That's book terrible. it was awful do you have a takeaway? Yeah, my takeaway is mostly uh, what I was talking about before, which is like, this is the first time I've thought about combining these genres or blurring the lines uh, a little bit and like not really worrying how you're going to classify it if you write it. And I'm not one of these people that comes up with super <laughs> imaginative plots or situations, really. Like I am very much writing like the literary fiction stuff, but I like the idea that there's this space in the middle. We talk a lot about how if you enjoy writing something, and you're having fun writing it just like keep doing it because that'll come through and we've talked about that with like sci-fi and fantasy i'm sure specifically and separately but this seems like a new level of just don't worry about it like don't worry about yeah. where you might publish this even just if you have a cool idea just go with it and if you want it to call it literary just yeah. call it magical realism there you I mean, go it's it's literary <laughs> wow 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 there's a lot of uh, little tricks <laughs> that's right I, th I mean, I think there's other qualities that go along with that. More or less, you know, you can introduce magical things that are fantasy. Right. And then it's a literary genre in other ways. Right. Yeah. And maybe the other takeaway would just be for me, which is that I liked this and could see myself like reading maybe other things specifically to start with from this magazine where it's like going to be a little bit of both. They're like modern day fantasy outside of dragons is interesting. All right. Well, thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider joining our Patreon. Your support helps us keep the show running. Find out more at patreon.com slash whyisthisgoodpodcast. And for industry news, writing tips, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop. You can also subscribe to our monthly newsletter at napleswritersworkshop.com.